I, I, I wanted to start by, by sharing some, uh, something that stood out to me when we go to Tijuana. Now, about once a year, we send a small team to Tijuana, and it's a really good missions trip experience. You just do it in one weekend. Actually, if you've been on that trip, can you go ahead and just uh, raise your hand? Yeah, a bunch of us have been on that trip, and it's a great trip. You, you leave Tijuana, and you and your small team have constructed this small house. It's the size of an average American master bathroom, right? That a whole family will live in that house. And, and you, you, you were part of a crew that put that up in one day, right? It's not a big, it's not a great house. <laughs> but the, the thing with that missions trip is that the experience is not really about building a house. For those of you who have been, it's about learning about missions, and the director knows that. It's all about the learning experience. And so when you walk into the facility in TJ, there are quotes all over the, the, the walls. It's like walking into Amy and Dion's house. You know, quotes all over the walls. You got stats, you got pictures, you go upstairs to the training room, uh, quotes, stats, pictures, and you read these quotes, and they are inspirational, and so sometimes I have a conversation with people like, which quote really caught your attention? Which one do you remember? And I was asking my kids that in the car, because at least two of them have been, and my son, who's the comedian, says, I know which one, always remember it. Which one, Ryan? If it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. That's my son. That's my... That's my son. I, it was uh, the good one, Ryan. That's funny. That's funny. <clears throat> but one quote that has caught my attention, and I, I know it's caught other people's attention because they've come back and they've talked about that quote too. It's a quote by John Piper right there on the wall. I think it's just five words long. Powerful quote. Concise. Five words. I think it's the shortest statement that John Piper has ever given in his life. And it goes like this, go, send, or disobey. Go, send, or disobey. Kind of summarizes the level of engagement that is expected of every Jesus follower. And I think what's special about that quote is that it makes it clear that everyone is engaged in the mission of Jesus around, around the world. Like, with that quote, and I do believe it's biblically accurate, you, you can't go, well, you know, Caitlin and Diana have that calling, that's good for them, but we have a different calling. No, it's, no, 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 it's like everyone's on the same team, everyone has a critical role to play. Can I get an amen from you guys? Okay, I had to ask for that one. <laughs> That's cool. That's all right. We're going there today. Now, about five years ago, we started something called a Kingdom Fund Team. You heard me mention this more than a couple times. And every year for the past five, six years, we've been giving away $50,000 to um, causes of, of Christ uh, to missionaries, to the Mother Teresas of the world. And it's been a really, really meaningful kind of endeavor for our church. It's been super, super meaningful. 
Um, but I, I think at about year number three, I started to make an observation. And I've been meaning to talk to you guys about it, but I never really had the opportunity, you know. And uh, I feel like I have the opportunity this morning. The, the observation that I've kind of shared it with me is that it's kind of easy to give money from your wallet. But it's much harder to give money from your heart. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, I, I know this, I see this in myself. I, I support these, these compassion kids. And nowadays, it's so easy to support a, a, a kid who's hungry overseas. You know, you just sign up. And they have this amazing thing called auto direct pay. That's not what they call it, but you know what I'm talking about, right? And every month, there's a certain amount of money that just disappears from my checking account. They don't, they don't necessarily notify me. It just, bing, it, just, it just disappears. And I don't have to think about those kids at all. It's like, is that the best part about it? Uh, but it's the reality. I don't have to think about them at all. And I started to realize I don't really think about those kids at all. And so it's actually pretty easy to give money from your wallet, but much harder to give money from your heart, from your relationship, um, from some place in here. From, it's much harder to do that. And so today I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about that today. And so uh, the best way to address these things is through Scripture. And so Amy was working hard on the name Epaphroditus. And uh, she's going to come up and she's going to bring it today. Uh, I want you to, to, Amy, why don't you come up? I want you to keep in mind that what Amy is about to read is a bit of a thank you letter. It's a thank you letter. All right? And here is the words of Paul writing to a donor church. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. Philippians 4, 10 to 20. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know that it is to be in need. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in anything and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For, when, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me more aid than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be accredited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus, Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.
This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> if I had a fourth son, I would call him Epaphroditus. No, no question. No question about that. Epaphroditus. So, um, here is Paul, and he's writing a thank you letter. He's writing a thank you letter. He's a missionary, and he's writing it to his donor. Ah, but what I want you to see is that this is so much more than just a thank you letter. There's a story that Paul shares with this church, and I want to share the story. I think if you know the story and you, you think about the story when you read the letter, it's going to be a richer letter. It's going to make for a richer experience. So I want to tell you guys a story. It's right there in, in Acts. So it involves Paul. He's an apostle, and he has a crew. He's got a crew of his church planting team, and it's got Luke, who is a beloved physician. He wrote a gospel. It's got Silas on the team. Uh, it's got Timothy on the team. That's the crew. Uh, they're mentees of Paul. So Paul, in a very supernatural way, gets directed to this leading city. It's called City. It's called Philippi. Goes to the city where they start. Why don't we start with the spiritual people? And they happen to be by this riverside, and a group of women are together, and they're praying. Now, you got to understand something about Paul and his crew. These men are so on fire. They are so on fire for God. They feel like they have the greatest love story to tell. And it's the story of God loving the world so much that he gave his only son as the solution to the problem of human sin. It's a huge problem, and God provides a huge solution, but it's clothed in this amazing love story. And they're like, we got to go to a place who has never heard, and we got to share this news about Jesus. So it's with that fire that Paul engages a, a group of women. And I don't know what he said, but I, I know the passion of Paul. And an interesting thing, you know that his message was all about Jesus. After he finishes, someone stands up, I imagine, and speaks to the group and says, you know, thank you very much, Paul. We appreciate you being here. What you said was very nice. Uh, well, think about it. Thank you. And <laughs> they all kind of leave. I don't know how Paul's feeling about that. They all are leaving, except one woman, and her name was Lydia. Now, the scripture says that God opened her heart. And I don't know how you can see in a person that their heart's being opened, but I guess it's probably in the eyes. And this woman comes up to Paul and says, Paul, now this is me paraphrasing, I want you to say what you just said to my family. you got to come home with me. So Paul goes and says, I don't know, same thing. Maybe says another version of it. And the family believes and Lydia believes and Lydia is baptized and the family is baptized. Now, I've baptized a few people at our church. And um, no one has ever asked of me what Lydia asks of Paul after she's baptized by Paul. I'm not bitter or anything. I'm just saying no one's ever asked that of me. I'm just an observation. What she says to Paul is she says, Paul, if you believe that I'm faithful to the Lord, like if you believe that this, you know, my faith and my family's faith 
is legit, is real, then you got to grant me this request. What's the request? You got to come and live with me. You and your crew. I want you to come and live with me. I have a big enough house. She was a, a maker of, of clothes for the rich and famous. Uh, purple dye and all that. She had purple dye in her hands. You had to come and live with me. She had a big house. I can house you and your crew. You need a place to stay. Come and live with me. Now, the, the scripture says that she prevailed upon us, which basically means Paul couldn't say no. And I think Paul wanted to say no because he didn't want to mooch off of anyone. But she wouldn't take no for an answer. Now, this is my point. Why are you bringing up this whole story? This is my point. Paul said, yes, the crew lived with this woman. I don't know how long. Maybe it was weeks. Maybe it was months. But they would have dinners together. And she would say, hey, Paul, tomorrow I'm making your favorite, you know, meatloaf and mashed potatoes. And then the next day, there's going to be ramen and kimchi. And then the next day, what do you say one of your mentees cooks? You know, but, but they, they had those conversations, and they would talk over the dinner table, and they would talk in her kitchen. Now, when you talk to a person in their kitchen, it's a whole another level of conversation. You guys have been there. The kitchen conversation is a more intimate conversation. It, way into the night, they're meeting in her kitchen. Paul was there when her daughter came home from school. I don't know, maybe, maybe she was like cleaning up the bathroom and she was cleaning up the bathtub with the hairs of Paul, right? That, that probably happened. Not a pretty picture, but that, I mean, that's community. That's life together. So when Paul is writing this letter, he's thinking about Lydia. He's thinking about the purple dye in her hands. He's thinking, this is my friend. This is someone I love. This is someone who loves me. This is a personal letter. Now I could keep on going on. There's more stories here, like, uh, for example, uh, I'm not going to tell the story, but Paul's in jail, and Paul saves this man from committing suicide. That's in the book of Acts. Save this man from committing suicide. Right before he's about to, like, pierce his own gut, Paul stops him, and this man is added to the family and the church. When Paul's writing this letter... This is not just to people, this is to his homies. You know, this is to his people. It is a personal letter. And it comes right from the heart. So here we go. Uh, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and then now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So apparently um, Paul hadn't heard from them for a while. And I think that tends to happen when you're a donor, when you're um, a sender. But then you revive your concern. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. All right, now, I just want you to think about this next part. This next part is a little bit weird, okay? Uh, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I just want to say, you probably have heard what I just read preached before, and it's beautiful, right? It's like a, a doctrine of the sufficiency of Jesus. Now, as far as doctrine is concerned, it is beautiful. 
I will not take away anything from that. But if you look at this letter from the practicality of a thank you letter, it doesn't really make sense. Like, what am I talking about? Isn't Paul kind of going like, hey, thank you for the gift? But you know, honestly, I don't really need the gift that much. Isn't that what Paul's saying? And it's kind of weird, like, why would you say that? Like, I'll give you an example. Raina and I bought a house in the Bay Area. Now, that is not easy to do. And there's no way that we would have been able to do it without the bank of mom and dad. Oh, yeah. That was all mom and dad, right? Mom and dad, they, um, they, they're great providers for our family. So we own property in the Bay Area because of mom and dad. Now, I just want you to imagine me writing a thank you letter. And I've, I've told mom and dad thank you many times. But I want you to imagine me writing a thank you letter saying, Dear mom and dad, thank you for the generous gift. But you know, Raina and I have learned the secret, uh, the joy of renting for many years. Truth is, we would just be happy in Christ without a house. Renting's fine. We could go either way. But thanks again. Love your favorite son-in-law, Andrew. Now, I would not write a letter like that. I just wouldn't write a letter like that. It wouldn't make any sense. Because what I know about when you write thank you letters is you're supposed to say, look, I was in a place of real need. I was in a place of real need. And then you sent your gifts, and it made all the difference. Wow, thank you. Now, you feel a lot better when I say that, right? What is Paul doing? You're like, Paul, what are you doing? That's not how you do it. What are you doing? What is Paul doing, guys? Well, let's keep on reading. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. No church except you guys only. Now, I read this, and it goes, ooh, this church, it seems like this was the first donor-sending church that Paul had. Sounds like that, doesn't it? Now, I want you to imagine this scene. I don't know how long Paul spent with them. It could, it could be weeks. Could be, it could be months. But they have, they have a church gathering, and this one is really, really special. Everyone's there. Everyone had to be there. Everyone's there. Why? Because this is the last time that they're going to have Paul with them. After this, Paul's going to leave. Now, you understand, Paul's on a mission. Paul's on fire. He's going to go where the gospel is not proclaimed. He's going to go. So they're, they're gathered around to say goodbye to Paul. Now, uh, when, when, we, when we do that and someone's going to go and we're kind of sending them out, we would kind of gather around. I call it a mosh pit. It's not really a mosh pit, but you gather around, you put hands on them, and they put hands on you. You form this little circle. It's a holy huddle, and everyone's kind of praying for the people that they're sending out. Now, I bet you something like that happened. Really cool. And then I imagine at the end, maybe there is someone in the group that's speaking for the group. I imagine it was Lydia who probably wouldn't take no for an answer. I imagine Lydia spoke up, and she said, Paul, 
we wish that you could stay longer. We wish you could stay longer. But I know there's nothing I could say that could convince you to actually stay longer. So here's my question. I've been talking to some of the community. They want to know this question too. Is there anything we can do to support you? What can we do? Now imagine Paul said, you can pray for me. Pray for me. And Linda's like, you know, Paul, when we gather together, every time we gather together, we will pray for you. Is there anything more we can do for you? Like, can we give you money from time to time? Can we give you money from time to time? Now, I imagine that Paul had a ready answer for this. And, and, and I, I think he responded a certain way because if you look in 2 Corinthians, he actually says, I would rather die than lose my privilege of preaching for free. I mean, that's, that was sort of his policy. I mean, he never wanted someone to say that Paul was in it for the money. Never wanted that. And so it just wasn't his practice to go around to the churches and say, hey, now that I have founded you, can you support me? He just wouldn't do that. So I imagine she said, hey, can we support you? And he said, no. And I imagine she said, come on, Paul. No. Paul, no. Paul, Paul, look, if we give you some money, then you don't have to spend all day making tents, right? You, you follow my logic? You wouldn't have to spend, and you would have something that you don't have a much of, which is called free time. Let's think about this, Paul. What would you do in your free time? Maybe go to the marketplace and talk to someone about Jesus? You imagine the jailer go, yeah, maybe you could save someone from suicide. They all laugh. They think it's funny. Paul's like, all right, fine. <laughs> now, Paul says no one entered into the partnership of giving and receiving except you only. Now, you got to understand, this is a church that is, is not saying, look, some of us are called to missions and a bunch of us are not, so you go do your thing, we'll go do our thing. No, 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 no. This is a church of St. Paul. We're in this together. You go. We send, but we're on the same team. Paul, when you go, we go with you in spirit. Your mission is our mission. Your passion is our passion. Your priority is our priority. Your God and his priority is our God and our priority. Wow. What a church. But, but here's the thing. This shouldn't be exceptional. Isn't it go, send, or disobey? Every church should be like this. Right? Every church. We're in this together. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. Apparently, they, they sent money more than one time, more than two times. I think this is the third time. But Paul says, not that I seek the gift. You guys, he's doing it again. Remember I was talking to you about how not to write a thank you? He's doing it again. Not that I seek the gift. Again, you're going to pull it out again. Ah, but look at this. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. It says, but. Now, 
you're asking, okay, Paul's not into like material things. He's like, you gave me a van. I'm not that into the van, but thank you for the van. So you're kind of asking like, Paul, Paul, what are you into? What, what, what does matter to you? He's starting to reveal what it is that matters to him in verse 17b, right? He goes, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. All right, what does that mean? Uh, right now, I am wearing pants that were given to me by a generous donor. And I'm like, hey, thank you, but I'm not really into the pants. I'm into the fruit that increases to your credit. What is the fruit that increases to your credit? Uh, let's keep on reading. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul, what is it that really matters to you? You know, it's kind of like, this is my paraphrase of Paul. Paul's like, you know something? The money doesn't really matter that much to me. Money from your wallet doesn't matter that much to me. Money from your purse doesn't really matter that much to me. It's money from your heart. I imagine Paul saying, I love the money that comes from your heart, that comes from your prayers, that comes from relationship. When you care about me and my mission, when you love God and you make his priorities your priorities, and I see you moving Man, that's what I care about. It's not money from your purse. It's money from your heart. And, uh, and, and Paul is basically saying, and when God sees that money that comes straight from your heart, when God sees a gift that's a that, that, that comes um, from that sense of, of putting the priority of God first. Oh, man. Now, what I want you guys to do right now is I, I want you all from, like, the, the, the bottom of your lungs to take in a very, very deep breath. We're all going to do that at the same time. Ready? Go. And breathe out. All right, did you smell those candles? Did anyone smell those candles? The man next to the candles cannot smell the candles. Okay, don't buy Target candles. I think that is the point of this lesson. Do not buy Target candles, even if they say moonlit walk and uh, something else that I forget. Because they don't smell. They're supposed to be scented candles. You're supposed to breathe and go, oh, wow. But no one's smelling nothing. Okay. But I just want you to imagine uh, coming in here and, um, you know, when I go to Taiwan, you know, you know the pungent order? It's, it's the incense, right? Because my, 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 my ancestors, my, my family, they were kind of into that sort of worship. So, but they would, they would take me to, to homes, and I would, I would smell. It was very pungent, very pungent, right? But I, since I like Taiwan, every time I smell that, I think of, you know, positive thoughts. You know, you know when, you, when you smell something, you ever smell something that kind of brings you back to your childhood? Can you imagine God looking at this church Looking at them saying, Paul, we are totally with you. You go, we send, but we're with you in spirit. We're totally with you. 
And God seeing their gifts and their concern and their prayers, and God's like, oh, man, that smells so good. I love that. I think that's what Paul was after. He could see the face of God taken in. Wow, it smells so good. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And the next word is, to all the church, amen. Amen. You guys know who this man is? You all know this man? I might have mentioned this story maybe once or twice. But here's the thing. I feel like it's probably good for me to share the story again because it's fast becoming not just my story, but our story. I feel like there's a lot of lives that have intersected with uh, Pastor Jonathan Zinkai and his wife, Khan, and their three kids, Varejo, Omsam, and Abigail. I want to tell you the story, if you don't mind. So if, if you look at Khan right there, she, five years ago, went to a Bible study with my wife, Raina. And they just, they just had a connection, you know. And, and, hey, my, pa- my, my, my husband is a pastor. Yours too? And so they're like, hey, our husbands should have lunch. And so they arranged it. It was kind of like a blind date, you know. <laughs> and so I'm having lunch with Pastor Jonathan. And we're just like swapping stories, you know. We're just swapping stories. He's a funny guy got a lot of great stories, and we just kind of hit it off. Uh, pretty soon after that, he said, hey, why don't you come and, 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 and check out my ministry at City Team San Francisco? Uh, he runs a men's recovery program. And so I remember uh, touring his uh, facility. It, it's funny, he has a, a picture of him shaking hands with George W. Bush, right? And, um, and he's, you know, he's kind of like, He's more Naga than American, so like culturally, he's still kind of you know um, getting getting his bearings like fully, and so he doesn't know that that picture <laughs> it doesn't have the effect that he wants it to have. Like, oh, look at me with George W. Bush, um, but I never told him that. Anyways, <laughs> to this day, he, he's showing people his picture of George W. Bush. Um, so he's touring me around the facility, and he's telling me his story of how he's been there for 10 years. And it, it turns out when City Team went to San Francisco and they started a program, they ran it a couple times with a different director. And it just wouldn't take. It wouldn't take. And so then Jonathan came. And, uh, and so the Jonathan ran the program, and after a year later, there were five graduates. And so the board was like, what just happened? So they call him in, Jonathan, you need to come. I sit Jonathan down. The board's all gathered. They said, Jonathan, Jonathan, what did you do? How did you run? Because we tried and it did. What did you do? And Jonathan, you know, he's like, oh, well, it wasn't me. It was God, Right? And the board's like, right, yeah. Yeah, but, 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 but what'd you do? Oh, it, you know, it wasn't me. It was, it was God. It was God. Now the board's a little, little annoyed. We, we know it was God, okay? The last man was blessed by God, but the program didn't take. 
You did something. What did you do? Oh, oh yeah, I, I might have done something. And they're all like leaning in. You can imagine this, right? I might have done something. What did you do? Okay, well, I loved the men. I loved the men. Every day I told them I loved them. Everything I did for them, I did out of love. And the board's like, that's it? <laughs> that's your secret? You love them? I, I love them. That was it. Now it's been like, what, 10 years later? Amazing man of God. And look, men's recovery is tough. It is really, really tough. Now I heard, I, I, don't, know, I don't know where they get these stats, but I heard that the, the pastor survival rate is not really high. Like on my commissioning ceremony, uh, the pastor who commissioned me, me said that one out of 20 pastors finishes well. Like one out of 20? Like how is that encouraging, you know? <laughs> but, but that's what he said on my commissioning service. One out of 20. Now listen, pastors might have it tough. How hard is it for a pastor of a men's recovery? That's like the toughest of the tough. Because people, they, they, the men, they go through relapses. They bring all their junk. You live with the men. That is one hard calling. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that has always confounded me. And Rain and I go like how there's this big mystery around Jonathan and his marriage. Big mystery. Rain and I have talked about this. Like we can't figure it out, right? Because with all that stress... You would imagine that they would have a marriage that's barely hanging on. But every time we see them, they look so in, they look like they're on their honeymoon, right? Sometimes like, why don't you guys go get a room by yourselves? You know, it's like, do you want us here? You want us to leave you guys alone? You know, sometimes, so, so there's been this mystery, like what, what are they doing? How do they do it? We want to find out and like write a book, you know? Uh, interesting thing, about two months ago, I had like an aha moment. I, I feel like I, I know what it is. I feel like I figured out their secret. And I was right there when it happened. Okay? And like two months ago, we're, we're about to go on a missions trip to, uh, to Naga. Sitting at the table, there's Patrick, there's Gordon, there's Khan, and, there's jo and Jonathan's giving us like this little cross-cultural training. Right? You know, and he's like, he's like um, I want you to know that in Naga, uh, people will not look at you in the eye. Don't be upset by that. It doesn't mean you're not handsome, right? Now, that's what he said, okay? I'm not kidding. I'm sitting there like, toward the end of the meeting. I'm looking at Patrick, like, blank face. I'm looking at, 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 at Gordon, blank face. I'm looking at Khan. Khan is cracking up. Khan's like, <laughs> you know, she's, like, clapping her hands, right? And, and I, I was laughing, too, but I was laughing at Khan's reaction, right? And I'm just like, that is it. That is it. I just saw it. It's the secret to this amazing happy. What, what is it? And I told Rain about this. You know, Khan finds everything that Jonathan says so incredibly funny. Like even the stuff that's just not even remotely funny. She just laughs and finds him funny. Okay? That's it. That's our main idea. Let's write the book. I don't know how they do it. They find joy in each other. They find joy in little things. Wow. 
it's been inspiring to me. And so our uh, relationship has grown through the years. Uh, when my son was sick, it was Kawasaki's in the hospital, it was Khan and her kids who came to visit Christopher. Um, when, uh, when Jonathan and his orphanage, they needed help because there was a real kind of donor problem. Uh, and so he approached me saying, look, this, this orphanage that I founded really needs some help. Now I did what any noble pastor would do. I passed the request on to Patrick. And Patrick did what any noble father would do. He passed it right along to his daughter. And his daughter said, Dad, we got to do something. These are kids who have parents who have died of AIDS. We've got to do something. So Patrick's like, well, what do you want to do? Well, let's, create a, let's do a, a fundraising website. And so she creates a fundraising website. They raise $15,000. They build a boarding home, which is going to give income to the orphanage so they can be more self-sustaining. She's 11 years old. Two years later, the boarding home has been built. She's like, Dad, I want to go. And I hear that she wants to go, so I said, Patrick, I want to go too. And I want to invite my son, and then Jonathan, you have to go because it's your orphanage, and why don't you get your son too? So we all go, and we visit the, the orphans, and we commemorate the, the dedication of the, um, the boarding home. And when we're there in India, we find out Jonathan has done, okay, he's, uh, he started this orphanage and a widow's group and a seminary, and a village school. I'm like, bro, you have way too much free time. How did, how did you, you know, wow. And, uh, and so he's, he's just, he, he's definitely a missionary. Definitely, I, you know, I was, I was like, Jonathan, you make me feel like I haven't done anything with my life. And this is not just my story, you guys. This is, a, this is our story. Uh, during the Kingdom Fund team, uh, we chose City Team to give $10,000. And Jonathan said, well, with the $10,000, we're actually going to fix up our bathrooms. But it's more than a restoration of bathroom. It's a restoration of the men's dignity. So we went there. We saw the bathrooms. And he introduced us. This is the church that cares about you guys, wanted to restore your bathrooms. The men started to applaud. We had two staff. We had a couple of staff members there. They cried. Because they were feeling, what better way to give money than to do something like this? <clears throat> when Jonathan was getting evicted of his house in Berkeley, and I, I found out about it, I did what any noble pastor would do. I, I passed it on to you guys. And some of you followed up with me, and some of you were offering him affordable housing. When City Team SF had some major flooding. Our young adult group rose up, said, we want to help. And they contributed funds, and that was matched by the, uh, by the uh, Kingdom Fund team. It's not just my story. It's our story. I may, you may never start an orphanage. I will not start a seminary. I will not start a school or a widow's group, probably. 
But I have a friend. I have a friend. He goes, I send. But we're all on the same team. The scripture says for people who go, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And that's true, and you can't take away anything from that. But I guess it could equally be said, how fragrant are the gifts of those who send. Be a sender. It's a noble calling. Paul needed the church in Philippi. Frodo needed Sam. Jonathan needs us. And there's a missionary who needs you. Five very quick tips and then we are done with the message. Number one, if you are going on a short-term missions trip, be sure to make time to befriend the missionary. Not just the people, but the missionary. That might be the friendship that will keep. That might be the friendship that will keep you engaged with the mission. Tip number two, if you're in a home group and you guys are going through this adopt a missionary kind of process, engage. Not just with money from your wallet, engage with money from your heart. Being a sender is a noble, noble calling. Right now, I, I guess I'm, I, well, no, it's all of us. Do you know someone who is headed for the mission field? It's going to be harder to be friends with them when they're on the mission field, though not impossible. Why don't we actually take them out to lunch and have coffee now? So there's a friendship that will, that will keep and continue and hold value uh, for the rest of your life. So I would love to see Caitlin invited to lunch like 10 times in the next week. I think that would be great, or Diana or someone. Um, college students, for those of you who are in a college fellowship, how about your staff worker? Do you have a staff worker? They are people who are training future missionaries. It's a very, very noble calling. How about supporting them? How about taking them out to lunch? How about really uh, going deeper in that relationship? And here's the last thing. Can you guys take out your, uh, your, your contact uh, uh, sheets? If you are interested in being paired with a missionary, but you don't know which missionary, you don't know which cause, you don't, you don't, you don't have a lot of connections, the missions team would love to help you. What you can do is just sign your name, and if you have like a, a preference or a cause that you really believe, just write it, go ahead and write it down. Turn it in with the offering. And a missions team will just call you or email you, just dialogue with you about possibilities. You know, just, just continue the conversation. You guys, the call is go, send, or disobey. If you're called to send, it is a noble calling. You guys can do this. We can do this. They say that in America, we are 5% of the world and we consume 50% of the resources. We have resources to give. We have a calling to live out. Let's pray. Father God, I want to pray for our people I know that we have this tremendous opportunity to be senders. And I pray that we would stand in that place with this noble calling. 
and that our lives, our hearts, our gifts would just be so fragrant, would smell so good to you. We offer you our lives. We offer you our money. May the money we give not come from our wallets, but may it come from our hearts. You know all things, Lord. We love you. We dedicate ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray.